Hi, everybody. This is Peter Diamandis here with Dan Sullivan, and we're about to talk to you about exponential wisdom. Welcome back. On this episode, Dan, we've talked about something, and you've shared with me a tool or a framework that you call humanity's growth tension points. And this is very familiar to me because I'm constantly talking in my lectures to executive teams and CEOs and conferences that people don't like change. People really don't like change. But at the same time, the world is changing at an accelerating rate. Mm -hmm. And that in the world, we have these institutions that try and stabilize the world. Mm -hmm. Religious institutions try and stabilize for thousands of years. And governments try and stabilize for at least hundreds of years. And as you have as your third one, family is sort of a decadal stabilization. Those stabilization forces that are very real and they've governed most of human evolution are now being countered by this rapid doubling, this disruptive force coming of scientific discoveries and technological exponential growth and financial markets that are rapidly causing mayhem. And when that happens, what happens, Paul? Well, just a little background. My mom made me a political junkie when I was eight years old. She got me hooked on presidential elections, and the one we just went through is my 17th in my lifetime. For some reason, it's an area that I'm really fascinated with, and I know a lot of American history. I've followed mostly history, but a lot of world history. But The big thing is that I think that a really thriving world actually needs two sets of countervailing forces. One of them are accelerators. Otherwise, things get very stagnant. Things get corrupted and stagnant. If there isn't an an accelerating force that scares the stabilizing part of society, which, as you pointed out, is the political realm, but governments in particular, and then various kinds of religious organizations— But it's very, very interesting. The family is really the cornerstone stabilizer. And Hmm. I'll tell you what, Peter, in my diagram, I have technology as the lead accelerator. My sense is that technology comes before science because science can only explore to the degree that technology gives it new tools. So technology is a great disruptive force in society because it makes other accelerators very possible. But in the realm of the stabilizers, the one that's most unpredictable and kind of disrupts things too is the family. And I'll use your own example. You have these twins now who are now pushing, what age now are they? They're five and a half. Five and a half, you know, in your family unit. It's the area of your life, Peter, where you're absolutely the most unfair to the rest of the world because because you're absolutely striving to give your unit absolute unfair advantages over all the other. This is true of every family. I mean, you know, there's dysfunctional families, but people will do anything for their family. And it's the only thing that most people have in their life where they can make the statement, I'll do anything for my family and I'll take advantage of every advantage. So, You know, and religions are a collection of families, and the great breakthrough with politics 
And perhaps America is the greatest example of that, where the politics could include all the religions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the United States, strangely enough, one of the most advanced countries in technology, science, and finance, but at the same time, the highest level of voluntary church-going of any country on the planet. And I think if you're going to live in a country that's constantly changing in many ways, you have to have stabilizers in your life, too. And religion is one of those big stabilizers. And isn't it true that politics used to be family, too, and the king and the queen? Yeah. The British are the great compromisers. They still have their family with the queen, but then they have a democracy. The British always charm me because... They never do anything in a real straightforward way. You know, they always combine a little bit of this. We went back to the Brexit conversation because I followed Brexit with a great deal of attention because all the debates were actually on the Internet, and I watched 10 of them. Wow. And I knew almost from the beginning of the first debate, certainly by the third debate, that the Leave side was going to win because it really struck me that the Leave side... They were really in touch with all the issues that I have on this page. They were in touch with all the tension points that were going on of them being kind of swallowed by big bureaucratic operation out of Brussels. This gives you a really interesting point of how things actually happen in the world. And I think this was a breaking point in Brexit. The European Union issued a directive that the tea kettles that the British use to boil their water for afternoon tea, was using up too much electricity under European rules, and therefore all (laughs) all these kettles would have to be replaced. And the British didn't have kettles to replace them, so it would have to come from Europe. And I said, you guys have just made the most fatal mistake in the world. You're fooling around with the British tea kettles. You're starting to interfere with people's lives. So what happens is... The Tea Party all over again. Yeah, you can push people with change to a certain extent, and then they'll snap back. And, you know, I'm a great believer in Moore's law about the exponential change. And I think all that is happening at the level of the accelerators. And it speeds up. Finance, science, and technology, it all speeds up. And a lot of your great interests and what's going to show up on the stage about Abundance 360 has a lot to do with the accelerators. But what really is happening now is that there's a sorting out of the relationship between the stabilizers and the accelerators. And the one thing that people don't want global is government. They do not want global government. Fascinating. They're totally okay with global technology. They're totally okay with global science. They're totally okay with global finance. They do not want global government. They want to reinforce their own government within their own borders. And that's Newton's third law. (laughs) If you want to call it a law, is that for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So if you have accelerators going one way, you're going to have stabilizers going the other. And the main organizing unit is national sovereignty. And so you're going to see a strengthening all over the world of national sovereignty, even though people are going to do all these other things across borders. So I think this 2017 will be seen as... uh, a real turning point year in the whole relationship between what I call localization and globalization. Interesting. I mean, I remember when you were predicting Brexit and when you predicted that Trump would handsomely win, and I was like, Dan, no way. 
and of course, whey. <laughs> so it's interesting because I'm someone who is sees the tremendous value of interdependencies and globalization on making the world more peaceful, making trade more efficient, creating efficiencies all over the place that up benefit people. And then the idea of putting up mm -hmm. walls, literally walls and boundary conditions puts us back 100 years and in my mind destabilizes things. But is it a human emotional reaction here that we're seeing? If you think of progress as a sine curve, that what we've had is massive expansion of the in the accelerator realm over, let's say, a 20, 25-year period. What you have to do for a while is that you have to go under the line, and the national entities have to adjust. And one of the things, you know, which is very easy, yeah, we see all this change, and we see some people getting almost unimaginably rich from the change, but the vast majority of people who make up the bulk of our country are not experiencing the benefits of that change. And you have to go through a period now where the benefits come back. Mm -hmm. Okay, This is really what's happening in Brexit. This is really what's happening as a result of the Trump election. The emphasis, and you can see the CEOs of major corporations now saying, we're going to build a factory here. We're going to build a factory here. We're going to indulge in job training here. We're going to work with the unions. And they're responding to it because all those corporations deal with the federal government. And if you're a large corporation and you have complex companies, the federal government has lots of interactions with you, and they can just put a hold on your progress by doing this. The biggest thing, I think, Peter, here is that there's a recognition and a concern. I think that's where Peter Thiel was ahead of the game here. Peter you know, is as high-tech as anyone in the United States, and you've known him, and he's been involved. But he said, you got to be caring about what your disruptions do to human beings, to human communities, and to human economies. And there's been this sort of, well, these are obsolete people, and they don't matter. There's a new generation being born that's going to replace them, or robots are going to... That's not going to pass, that attitude of disdain or almost contempt for people who are not part of the Accelerator Express, it's just not going to pass. Politically, it will be opposed, and that's what you're seeing. So, I, you know, if I was giving counsel to the people in the high-tech industry, I said, what you have to do is that you have to get to know the part of America that you usually just fly over, and you have to actually understand what's going on at the ground level in the coffee shops and what's being talked about. I smile because you're absolutely right. You know, it's like there's two Americas. There's America and there's America. Yeah. You know, in the middle, you fly over, like you said. Yeah, well, I've been telling people, you know, that Strategic Coach operates in three countries, but now I've added a fourth. So I said we're in the UK, we're in Canada, we're in the United States, and we're in... California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, you've heard the conversations about California seeking to secede from the Union. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's not as easy as one thinks. But one of the things I just want to bring it around to a favorite subject of yours, which is deep data. And I want to tell you, you know, an insight that I had, and I shared one of them with you using your 6D model, yep. where I analyzed the Trump win from the use, his deceptive use of social media to actually... A direct voice to the people. 
direct voice to the people. And what's really interesting about this, and we had a back and forth on email right after the election, and I was saying that Twitter is being used as a polling tool in a way that is very superior to the normal ways of polling. The polls were the traditional polling methods by telephone, you know, asking questions, and that was just proved to be disastrously wrong. Actually, it's been about six elections now where I've just noticed that they're just not picking up what's going. And I know you have some insights because you have people who are actually studying this, but the biggest thing, you know, if I can make a single statement and then I'll hand it over to you, is that what they're finding is just by doing deep data analysis of the words and the emotions that are being used on social media, they can make much better predictions about how people are actually going to vote. One, if they're going to vote, but secondly, how they're going to vote on election day. And I think that this is a profound breakthrough. I think the mainstream media are still in Elizabeth Cooper's five steps of grief, you know, and they're still outraged and they're still angry and they're still in denial, but they've just been bypassed by an entirely new detection technology that's in the political realm. And I think you're going to see this more and more is what are people actually saying to each other? And the big thing is intensity. With what intensity are people saying things? So you've had conversations with people who are deep into this, and I think everybody would like to hear what you learned. Yeah, sure. A friend of mine from MIT, uh, Deb Roy, Deb's a amazing machine learning scientist, and his company was acquired by Twitter. His title now is uh, he runs Lab for Social Machines at, at MIT, and he's sort of the strategist at Twitter. And what they did and what they realized was there was a lot of information in how which people were retweeting which tweets and the emotional energy that they were putting on top of the tweets, like, I completely disagree or I agree. It was a lot more honest than anything that the pollsters would pick up. And they called this the electome, the body of all tweets referring to the candidates. And there's, you know, I'm going to be sharing at Abundance 360 this year, sort of in my year in review, that one of the AIs that scrapes social media made a hands down very early prediction that Trump was going to win. You know, when I think of what the election for 2020 will look like, I think it'll be a very different game. AI will have matured, machine learning will have been made much more capable, we'll have global sensor networks and a lot more information to analyze. I think the traditional polling is going to be gone. Yeah. I've made a couple of predictions about that. One of them is the sovereignty prediction that I just made before. I think that sovereignty is going to come back in full force for a time, for a time. And it's kind of, you know, if you want to put a reasonable or understandable context on why this has happened is because countries are really wounded and they have to go through healing right now. And when that happens, you got to give them protection from the outside. I don't think this is permanent, but I think it's for a period of time until all the change that's happened very, very quickly as a result of the accelerators can be dealt with. But at the same time, I think that there's going to be inside of a sovereign country, there's going to be more uses of technology to do better reading on the public because The present statistical type of 
what I would say analysis of public comes from the late 19th century. I mean, this is 100 years old, the state-controlled statistics, you know. And then it could be corrupted because you could say, well, we're going to make the statistics mean this, and therefore we're going to use statistics to kind of identify we have some ideological goals here and we're going to do that. And I think that's not going to survive this. I think that the actual bottoms up coming from what people are saying on social media is going to be much more informing of legislation and what people want. For the most part, you're going to have sovereignty, but within each country, you're going to see different responses to what people are saying in different parts of the country. And I think local government's going to become more important, and I think they're going to be informed by this. So my feeling is there's two things, that for a while, sovereignty is going to cut off no possibility of global government. I don't think people want global government. I think they want their government personal, and they want it immediate. They do not want to be ruled by unelected unaccountable bureaucrats making social engineering decisions about their lives. So I think this period is over. I think this is the end of the government as a social engineer and more government as a responder to actual ground-level interest and what people really want. And I think the technology is going to be on the side of the localizers as far as government goes Technology is totally on the side of accelerators as far as what you can do globally, but I think technology will be totally on the side of localizers. I mean, the challenge, Dan, is what's coming down the pike, which governments are not ready for. Mm -hmm. I don't think no matter how nationalistic we become and how we return jobs and so forth, there are a set of exponential technology growth curves that are going to lay waste to many of the jobs. You're going to have situations, you know, Amazon Go just announced their first store with effectively no few employees in it. And you end up in a world, you know, and I think about this a lot, that I believe we're heading towards this world of abundance in 20 to 30 years where we can meet the needs of every man, woman, and child. But it's not going to be a smooth no. getting there. It's going to be turbulent along the way. Yeah, and it's not equally distributed either, and that's one of the real problems. You know, if the U.S. government says, listen, you can't use robots to stock your shelves, you have to use humans, all that means is that U.S. prices will be much higher yeah. than the rest of the world. Yeah, but I think attitude is everything here, and to simply say sort of offhandedly, you know, get with the show or you're worthless in our eyes. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well put. Yeah, and it's really fundamental. If you took the two candidates in our recent U.S. election together, I never got a sense that Hillary ever said that she really cared about what was happening to the people And Trump was saying that every day, I really care. I'm really in touch with what's going on. Well, people need that reassurance. Not everybody in the world operates at the level that I do at Strategic Coach or you do at Abundance 360. I mean, I come from blue-collar steel country, northern Ohio, and I go home, and they're not operating on this level, but they're human beings. What's most importantly is they're also taxpayers and voters, so they do have a vote on how things happen. But I don't see anything smooth. I don't see, 
you know, we're going through a period of turbulence and it's going to smooth out. I don't see that. I just think we're going to get used to a world where there's always going to be accelerators and they're getting faster. But I also think there's certain things that are constantly going to be reinforced as stabilizers. And I know no matter what happens that you're going to be thinking nonstop of how you can give your twins unfair <laughs> advantages over any other kids on the planet. And uh, you multiply that by millions of families. And that's where the real commitment, and that's a very, very local commitment. Amazing. Yeah. And so true. Yeah. You know, a topic for our next exponential wisdom I'd love to bring up with you is the following. If you think about if we're heading towards more nationalistic, worrying about our nation and not globalization, if I had to say what was the most precious resource a country has, it isn't its material resources, it's real estate, whatever, I would posit is it's the sum total of intelligence of its citizens, right? And so a friend of mine, Brian Johnson, has coined the term HI instead of AI for human intelligence. And as an asset class, I'd love to talk that through with you. Gee, what a wonderful subject, yes. Be very excited with that one, Peter. Cool. All right, Dan, good to see you, pal. Thank you, Peter.